I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube on a Friday. We're in the same <laughs> thing as Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. live. Sort of. Really here. Yeah. Life Absolutely to, here. Live to tape. Live to tape. Yeah. Look, radical candor with our group. That's always, what we do here. It's recorded. Um, S2 Cognition. We've, we're hearing all about the S2 scores. It's everywhere. Right? Um, Being leaked. It's what everybody's talking about. These these quarterback scores. Brock Purdy nailed it. Therefore, HIPAA, it must work. HIPAA violations left, right, and center. People just leaking out data. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. We've referenced it here on the show. I even called it S three a couple years a couple weeks you ago. Did, yeah. I was trying to yeah. I was trying to up the ante a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's S two cognition. We have Brandon Ally, one of the co founders of the uh, of the test. Yep. Here with us. You did a little. Uh, you you did the interview. It did. With him. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to him in a moment. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, man, you want to get to uh, Brandon? Do you have anything else? No, let's dive say? straight in, and then uh, we'll, we'll circle back after the, the interview is played, and we'll uh, get your reaction. All right, let's do it. Here's Sam along with Brandon Ally from S2 Cognition. Okay, very happy to be joined by Brandon Ally, uh, co-founder of S2 Cognition. Um, we've talked about this test a little bit on the show so far a couple of times. Uh, let's start with, give me the, the kind of couple of sentence uh Cliff Notes version of what exactly is the S2 cognition test? Yeah, so the S2 is an evaluation of the way that we, uh, uh, how we see visual information, how we make sense of that visual information, and how we react to that visual information, all sort of under this cognitive umbrella of processing that unfolds in sub-second or even sub-half-second timeframes. I know we get lumped into that same sort of sphere as the Wonderlick and other other tests that, that uh, measure uh, uh, intellect or smarts or how well they're going to learn a playbook or something like that. And it's just completely different from that. You know, it's, it's, it's really surrounding um, your ability to process and make quick and rapid decisions. This is really interesting to me because I've thought for a long time that the the holy grail, particularly when it comes to quarterback play, is this ability to be able to measure and quantify the, the, the capacity that some people have to make good decisions quickly in the face of kind of changing circumstances, right? And the, the most obvious example is like a quarterback under pressure suddenly yeah. has to react, make a quick decision, but you see it. In other sports as well, soccer players, you know, Luka Modric, these guys that always have time. Doesn't matter if you pressure them, doesn't matter if you take away where he wants to go with the ball, they're just able to change their decision and react. And I I feel like that applies more broadly as well. But is that basically what we're talking about? That's what S2 is trying to measure. Yeah, I think we're getting closer, right? There's no, there's no, 
there's no perfect. There's no perfect tool that's going to tell you this player can do this, that, and the other thing. And some of the things you're talking about are overlay of the psychological bucket, like who can handle pressure, who responds well to failure, those kind of things. We don't measure those kind of things as much as you as you alluded to, sort of the the speeded decisions. And so we use this with with quarterbacks all the time when we talk about we have a task called decision complexity, and it actually measures the when you when you layer on these complex if then rules, how much does their decision-making slow down? So a very simplistic example is if the DB covers the flat, I'm going to throw to the curl. If he covers the curl, I'm going to throw to the flat. Yeah, that, that's football 101. But, you know, in the NFL, we start layering on not only these multiple if-thens, but then you've got multiple players. As we add that on, all of our decision-making slows. Some of us, it doesn't slow much. Some of us, we show hesitation. We can't pull the trigger, those kind of things. Uh, and when we talk about pressure and this anxiety or it's fourth down, we need a first down, that makes all of that kind of worse. So so players who don't deal well under pressure or respond to failure, uh, that type of processing will actually get worse. And is this one of those things that either you have it or you don't? Because it's always kind of felt that way to me from just my amateur career playing sports that you could see the guys that have that, that ability to just, you know, make these adjustments on the fly. And I know from personal experience as well that I'm on the other end of the scale, right? I plan A, if plan A unfolds the way it was supposed to in my head, I'm fine, I can do things. If, if I have to go to plan B in a split second, that's when I collapse, break down and don't play the same. That's trouble, right. Yeah, so in general, it's a great point to to acknowledge because I think we, you know, we've seen, you know, and I don't know where they're coming from. We see leaks in the media about these scores. Hey, this guy scored high and uh, he doesn't play well. You know, we actually measure the capacity of these systems, right? And just because you have a high capacity doesn't mean you can do it in specific situations. But in general, that's the way we feel, Sam, is you are wired for a particular way. And we should be developing athletes at a younger age. We can improve, you know, when you're in your teens and your early 20s. Once you start to get to those mid-20s, it's hard to move the needle. We've got to start adjusting the playbook to what these guys can do, putting them in situations in which they're going to succeed it yeah that so that was one thing i was going to ask you about there, there's an article that's out there in the athletic that i'd encourage people to, to check out we talked about that before in the show um one of the nuggets i think that was in that is that you guys have been testing bryce young since he was in the 10th grade so is this something that you see sort of change develop does your test go up or down does does it work at the other end as well like is this something that declines with aging and can you start to kind of get ahead of the curve you know if you start to see players decline in this area or is it is it an area that players could potentially you know work at once they hit like slow the aging process yep. by keeping to work on this kind of stuff yeah great question so the task that we selected, you know, and they're, they're straight from the cognitive science literature. We didn't invent any of these tasks. They're, they're, there's decades of research. We actually selected ones that didn't have a ton of practice effects. So athletes wouldn't be able to take this many times and get better and get better and get better. Okay. There is an element to, so our visual system. So when we talk just about how we process visual things, that's fairly well established by 
early teens, mid teens for boys, but our motor control. So all of those things with the frontal lobes, our, our impulsivity, our distractibility, our ability to improvise, those things aren't really well established until our early to mid twenties. So obviously when it's not fully cemented, there's a lot more room to move the needle. But I will say, it's not like you're gonna go and, and, and practice the S2 test a hundred times in high school and you're gonna get better there. That's a, 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 like we're measuring the system, like the global impulse control system You've got to practice that in its specific context. So if you're a quarterback and we work on impulse control, it's going to be on the field on how to inhibit those impulsive reactions. If we improve that quarterback's ability to inhibit impulsive reactions, if he's a baseball player, he's not going to be any better at swinging at sliders in the dirt. So you've got to practice in that particular context. On the other side of things, yeah, there are absolutely cognitive systems, as, as, you know, and this may freak out a little bit, but our memory is at, at its peak when you're when you're in your mid-20s. Our memory is constantly declining from when, the, when we're in our mid-20s. We just develop strategies, right? We, we write stuff down. We, we use our phones. We, we, we rely on these things. So yeah, you can sort of build this scaffolding around, you know, you, you hear these, these older quarterbacks, they're in the, they're in the film room. Uh, they're studying playbook for hours upon hours. They just may need a little bit more time. So you can sort of combat the effects of aging. But yeah, for the most part, uh, NFL careers outside of these Tom Brady's that are playing in their 40s, um, those guys are pretty safe uh, from from declining cognition. Yeah, don't worry. It's not news to me that the uh, the memory is going to start going. I've already reached <laughs> the point where I'm like, is this just being this old, or did I get hit in the head too many times playing football when I was younger? Like that's 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 not news. That's definitely something we're experiencing uh, already. Combination of both. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've been talking about this and, and thinking about it basically exclusively in terms of quarterbacks. And that's when, like you said, there's some scores out there um, already and, and numbers have been leaked left and right. Um, but this is used for other positions, other sports as well. Like what other areas have you guys found that it's, uh, it's a really useful tool in? Yeah, so we're in nine different sports. We're also in other verticals like the military and law enforcement. So it's it's really practical for any time there are speeded, rapid decisions need to be made. Um, and yeah, with, with the quarterback position, um, it's it's probably gotten the most traction because I think it's the sexiest position on the field. And we've been able to do some predictive modeling that's been able to, um, you know, look at how, how it's going to manifest on field. I think other positions are, are really good too, particularly the positions in the middle of the field. So safety, middle linebacker, cornerback, um, even uh, uh, some, some wide receivers and running backs. It just, you know, I think another thing, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, um, we're talking about an overall number here. When, when when people start leaking scores, we see overall numbers. That's not really what the S2 evaluation is. And it's a, it's a real fault to hang your hat on one number because we give nine different cognitive tests, each of which informs your style of play. So you could have a 90 as a quarterback, but you could have a really low score on tracking capacity, which is your ability to broaden your attention and see the whole field. So you could have tunnel vision as a quarterback with still elite other processing. Um, that can be a problem, right? That, that can lead to some, some problems on the field. Uh, and as a coordinator, as a coach or something, you've got to know that about your athlete. You've got to know the why behind they struggle so that you can put them in the best place to succeed. Again, I think a lot of that comes from you know, forcing a kid who who isn't wired to do something to try to do something, and then they don't have success, and then you get that negative spiral. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because we we run into some of that ourselves, obviously at PFF. We we give one number, right? The overall grade, right. but we always say like the grade is not, you can't use that and just say, this guy has a higher number, therefore you draft that guy over the other one. You need to start going deeper. You need to look at yes. it in situations. You need to look at the composite, like where the facets break down. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wonder if it, if it ends up becoming, you know, a way of sort of quantifying what type of player each individual quarterback is and actually creating, uh, not not necessarily building an offense around him, but like understanding where the mistakes or the big plays come from. We've always talked a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo and how he has this weird tendency every now and again to just not see a linebacker, right? To just right. toss the ball right to a linebacker in the middle of the field. And maybe you're, maybe the S2 test is the kind of thing that can start to actually flag that kind of thing as you know a, a potential weakness in this guy's game and there are some play concepts we might want to steer clear of because they're exposing him to more of those types of opportunities that is exactly right that's hitting the nail on the head you know we don't want to get um pegged into thinking a guy can't do something we, we don't purport to predict Hall of Fame, starter, those kind of things. We're just trying to give these clubs a picture right. of what these guys can do really well and what they struggle with. And I think a good example, the best example I have for that, because it's fairly simple, is in baseball. So our impulse control task is the best predictor of major league chase rates. And I think historically, front offices and coaches have have gone to visual training. Oh, they can't see it. They, they can't see the pitch. Well, when we looked over 4,000 pro hitters, it, it fell out to about 50-50. About 50% of guys could not process the visual details of the pitch or the hand that was tipping off, hey, this is a slider. But the other 50%, they could see it just fine. It's They could not control their motor system. So, you know, we've all been in those situations where you're acting, you're actually swinging the bat saying, oh my God, I can't believe I'm swinging at this, right? You know it's a slider in the dirt. You just look so fat coming out of the hand, you can't lay off of it. But until you get sort of a cognitive evaluation or picture like this, you don't really know why that athlete's struggling. Again, like quarterbacks, we can all see the effect of a bad decision. We don't know what led to that decision. What, why did that quarterback make that decision? And so, if, like you said, it may not be like, hey, here, here's X quarterback and here's his cognitive profile. Now we need to create an entire system around him. But you can sort of structure, hey, we're going to limit the number of plays that force this athlete to do this versus this is what he can do really well. Um, you know, a good example on quarterback play is, is we have a test of improvisation. We all see those quarterbacks who can just, you know, first read is done and man, they're flying. They can find an alternative quickly. They're scrambling, they're changing their arm angle. They're dumping to somebody else versus the rigid quarterback who first two reads are gone, dancing, 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 taking the sack. Well, if you know that about a quarterback, you can, you can sort of build around that. Yeah, I mean, it ends up becoming a tool that has a bunch of different applications, right? It's got that, that ability to kind of quantify um, what type of player this is and, and maybe sort of create some tweaks here or there in the offense or uh, even build personnel around this guy to, to suit his strengths and his weaknesses. But it also is important, I think, as a tool to help bridge that gap in the, in the NFL draft specifically, which is what we're getting to now, which is like, let's still find the best quarterback, right? And yeah. obviously that athletic article um, brought up some kind of case studies and some specific names like Brock Purdy's the guy that's been talked about a lot as scoring extremely well in this test and, and obviously came out of nowhere as 
Mr. Irrelevant and then led the, the 49ers and that offense got better when he stepped in. Drew Brees was another guy talked about as having incredibly high scores in the 90s. Joe Burrow as well. I think Josh Allen was a name thrown around. The, one point I just wanted to bring up is when we sort of throw these abstract numbers out there, scores in the 90s, your scores are essentially percentiles, right? So and they're percentiles yep. up compared to pro athletes, not compared to like me, right? So when a guy's it's being compared about, to our database right now is 3,600 um, NFL prospects. And so it would be that 3% of college athletes that have declared for the draft and have gone through that process. Uh, and and so when you get a percentile rank, it is compared to those players. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think in the context of, hey, this is a low number, a 50 is an average right. NFL prospect. That guy is getting drafted. You know, he's going to be on a roster. So, uh, you know, low numbers are, again, it's just all contextual. It doesn't right. mean a player can't play. Yeah. Um, it just means that he's going to have more areas that he's going to struggle with than others. But it also throws into some kind of uh, context and clarity. You know, the, the, the low, quote unquote, numbers are, are basically average numbers in that uh, peer group. But when you're pushing your numbers into the 90s, we're talking about like all time rare freakish you know occurrences like a 95th percentile amongst nfl prospects is nuts i mean these are the outliers that we've been talking about on the last couple of shows physically from you know these guys that are at complete outliers 95th percentile running a 40 95th percentile right. doing the vertical jump these are 95th percentile players in terms of cognitive ability relative to, to all these other prospects that's right. And just like any other metric, and that's why I want to, you know, sort of be clear about this. Like, we're not saying this is the holy grail by any means. Just because you're at the 95th percentile, look, we've had just as many guys score 95 that have never seen a snap uh, in the NFL, right? Because we're measuring their capable, their cognitive capability. I'm sure there's tons of receivers that have run under 4-4 right. that have never seen a snap, right? And so it all has to put together. If you have a, a, an elite brain, but are 5-6 and can't throw more than 35 yards, it, it doesn't matter. So you've got to have sort of the complete picture. These guys that you're listing off, the Drew Breeses of the world, yeah, they've got it all. They've got the cognitive piece. They've got the psychological makeup. They've got the physical skills. They've got the mechanical and technical skills. And, and they've got the game experience. All of those things make up a pro athlete. So yeah, absolutely. So that's what I wanted to ask you is, is obviously NFL teams are, are the ones that have access to this are taking this as, you know, one more piece of the puzzle information wise that gets right. thrown in the hopper with everything else they've got bringing to the table to try and work out who these who the best prospects are so any team that's judging quarterbacks at the top of this draft they're looking at their tape you know their own scouting evaluation they're looking at the measurables they're looking at everything they've got and they're putting it all in and they're assigning weighting to it and, and whatever um, have you guys done any work yourselves in terms of interpreting or projecting what this data means for quarterbacks like independent of what the nfl teams are doing have you guys mapped the sort of success rate of elite cognitive uh guys to nfl success and, and that kind of thing yeah uh, and we have a blog on our website that that details those statistics in detail um again we're just looking at nfl starters we're not looking at every quarterback that we've ever tested but just out of the starters um uh, some of our metrics like impulse control is highly related to uh interception rate um things uh, like tracking capacity uh in decision complexity are highly related to uh completion percentage um again 
these aren't these aren't like end all be all numbers that we can predict how a guy is going to project. But you know, we, we hope to be part of the conversation in um, a metric that is quantifiable with decision making speed. And so, you know, like if you may have a, a, a safety who can run four two, but he's got a low S two, perhaps we can handicap that four two and say he's a four two forty guy, but he plays like a four four five guy, uh, or the inverse, he runs four four five and he's got elite cognition and perhaps. That's that that kid will play like a four two guy. So that's how we hope to be useful in their discussion. I think in general, that's sort of the feedback we're getting from our teams is that, you know, nobody is hanging. Oh, this guy had a high number. We're drafting him or this guy had a low number. We're not drafting him. It's more about context about, hey, what are we asking this athlete to do? Right. You know, there's there's many different types of linebackers. They may have a particular vision for a linebacker. What cognitive profile matches that? And does that overlay with what our scouts are seeing? So I think it gives them confidence. Yeah, our scouts are seeing this, our front office is seeing this, or no, they're not, and S2 isn't either. And if we conflict, we kind of dig in. It gives us pause. Okay, what is it about this athlete? What are you seeing? Uh, what are we missing? Are there things that you're asking this athlete to do that we're not measuring? Uh, those kinds of discussions. Yeah, I think that's another really important sort of part of process in, in this whole draft evaluation is anything anything that comes up as um, like an outlier data point should send you back to the tape, right? Because that's what it's all based on to start with is anything that comes out and is contrary to what you thought having watched the tape initially. And I, the, the most common ones obviously are when guys test differently. You know, a guy runs a yep. weird 40 time or has a strange athletic profile. It should make you go back to the tape and figure out can we see that? Like, can we verify that somewhere else? Did we miss something the first time around or, or what was it? And this is, I think, another example when if you were writing in your notes, you know, incredible decision maker, like sees the whole field, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes out with a terrible S2 time or S2 score. It should immediately send you back to the tape and go, why was I writing down all the opposite things? That's right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I was curious. Um, so you're now in this world where, you're tr essentially trying to test as many pre-draft prospects as possible every single year. I think I, I read that you guys go to all the, um, the all-star games, you're at the combine, all that kind of thing. Have you run into agents and players sort of reluctant to do this because they think they actually, their client actually might show badly? This is not a good thing to quantify how this guy is going to do in these testing and pass on it. You know, the way you see guys, I'm not going to run the 40. I'm going to run a 4.8. I don't want that on. I don't want that written down anywhere. We're just going to assume, you know, I don't run a particularly fast forty. I'm not going to give you the time. Yep. Yeah. No. You know, it's interesting because I I just don't think that this kind of thing gets as much weight um, as the physical measurements and and things like that. And um, it, it, it you know it, while I I do believe it's valued by teams, they're not hanging their hat on this, and I don't think it's going to prevent an athlete from getting drafted. With that being said, um, I do think that that you know we hope that we can help that athlete find a fit. We we actually think that we can help athletes uh, the bust rate 
not because we're going to prevent teams from drafting guys, but we're going to better match teams for what they're looking for. And so, again, when we go back to those, I mean, we've rarely seen numbers that are really low. That it's like, oh, this guy is never going to play. It's just that, hey, he's better suited for this. We need to find a club that it's a fit for him rather than the typical, I think the prototypical piece has been this kid's not working out for us and he gets cut and then he bounces around from a couple of scouts team and, and, and then you don't see him anymore. That, you know, these kids are that good for a reason. I mean, they're at the, you know, they're pre-draft prospects for a reason. Right. Um, we're hoping that we can help uh, build that athlete up and and get him up to speed quicker when he gets into a building or uh, match him with something, with a, with a team that is looking for something specific. So again, but through this process, and I'll also say, you know, we're not the only ones, right? So at the combine, there there are maybe sixteen outfits that are testing these players, where they have a, a six-hour block of time in which they've got to accomplish some of these these tests. They don't have to do any of it, 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 but I think they're motivated because they're motivated just like in every other aspect of their game that they want to prove themselves. It, it really does feel like a certainly when you compare it to the Wonderlick, right? Which is the thing that everybody sort of knows of as the kind of the old um, ubiquitous uh, mental test that everybody has, right? right? But the, the Wonderlick is essentially a glorified IQ test where you sit down, Correct. you write, you know, you fill in a bunch of questions that are of the, what's the, you know, what's the 11th month of the year, trains moving in the opposite direction, the kind of all the stuff that you get that's supposed to measure intelligence, but it's really, it's very academic focused, right? And clearly doesn't have a tremendously good application for real football intelligence, which is the thing everybody's actually trying to measure. Like, I don't care if a guy knows math. I care if a guy knows what to do when all of a sudden there's a nickel blitz coming off the, the side that he didn't anticipate and what that does to his uh, hot read and all that kind of stuff. And so this is, is clearly a massive jump forward in the right direction. How, how big of a game changer do you think that this can be once – you know, you've got a few sort of a bigger sample size involved once NFL teams fully integrate this into their system, once they get a handle on how big a piece of the puzzle it can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, probably like PFF, uh, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how long you've been, you know, working through this. But when when you guys came in. I think we all felt like it was a game changer, right? And now it's part of the language, part of the usage. Are you going to rely and hang your hat on a PFF grade? Maybe not, but it's part of the language. And I think that that's all we're asking for here is just to help athletes and help clubs understand the way these kids process the game. So I don't think that we're going to be some huge game changer to the way things are done. I mean, you've got to, you would have to change a team's DNA in the way that their right. draft process is and all of that. But we want to be able to help teams and support them and the athletes trying to make it to the next level, right? And, and, I, and I also want to say that, you know, we are – uh, right now getting this attention for this NFL draft. I mean, we work with athletes all the way down to 13 years of age and where we can actually start helping them to move the needle, right? We can develop very specific drills for quarterbacks to improve impulsivity, to Im improve uh, 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 improvisation and those kind of things. And so we want to target that athlete uh, to help them climb the ladder and be part of the discussion as well. So obviously, um, or when, when people take things like this there is a there's a couple of different ways of looking at the kind of the hit rate if you like you know we talked to former vikings general manager rick spielman they were saying that 
just from their own kind of scouting measure, you know, you look at how well a guy can predict, um, is he just going to be good in the NFL? But you also look at how well guys can predict this guy has no shot whatsoever. There's like, there's a few, few sort of different ways of measuring success rate or strike rate or anything like that. Um, I, I, one of the things I liked from that athletic article was obviously people are drawn to the kind of individual case studies, right? Brock Purdy had a great score. Brock Purdy looked good. Therefore, the system works. But you guys had it broadened out to a, the largest sample size possible. And we're sort of saying, you know, if you look in, in big number terms, there's a correlation there. I'm curious, like, have you noticed that the higher up the scale you get, you know, the, the higher the strike rate becomes? So, you know, are there players, without naming names, that have, like, off the charts in this thing, 97th, 98th percentile, but weren't good players. You know, guys that showed a phenomenal capacity for uh, cognition, but were not, it did not translate to, their, to the on the field performance. Yeah, certainly we've seen that. And again, you've, you've, you have to have all of the skill sets. There's likely something else that's limiting that player. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and I think oftentimes things above the neck all get lumped together. Um, but, how, but how an athlete responds to failure, you know, how he gets along with his coordinator and, and those kind of things are all can be limiting factors. So it can't, it, it's not just one thing. I would say that if you score really high on the S2, you have a much better shot at succeeding, right? You have the capacity to make those speed of decisions that are required at that level. Um, but you're also required to have the physical skills and tools and all of the psychological skills and tools as well. How much do you think it's, we're in this world now where I, I think it's fair to say there's a top four quarterbacks in this particular class, the, the Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, and uh, Anthony Richardson. Bryce Young is reported to have off the charts numbers by this. I think Will Levis was supposed to be right behind him with this mid-90s score. How much do you think, given the current landscape, given how much teams currently use this, it could be used as a separator for these guys amongst you know NFL draft rooms? Yeah, so... Uh, just to address the quarterback thing, um, you know, I, I would say that uh, we have we have we're, we're obviously aware of scores being leaked and, and we're not sure where that's coming from. But I will say that take some of those with a grain of salt. Okay. Uh, we have seen, you know, hey, so and so scored the highest in the class or the highest ever and so and so scored low. And it's like, yeah, that's not that's not true. <laughs> um but with that being said, I will say that th this class as a whole, all of the all of the guys in the discussion have scored really, really well. Um, and you know, if if I'm if I'm a general manager, it's more likely that I'm going to utilize this tool. If we love two players the same, we love their physical makeup, we love their psychological makeup. We have great interviews with them. One has a high S two, one has a modest S two. It it can be a separator from that perspective. Again, I, I just don't see GMs in front offices saying, "Nah, we don't really like this guy, but his S two is good, so let's take him." Right. I mean, I would love for that. Let's let's do an experiment, <laughs> draft nothing but high S two guys, and see what happens. Um, but you know, I just don't ever see that happening, at least in football. Are there other sports, other sports can be different, right? Are there positions do you think where? having a incredibly good S2 score is actually a bad thing? Like, are there positions where simply being blinkered, plan A oriented, and, you know, of course. I have one thing to do, that's what I'm doing, I don't need to adjust on the fly, is actually an advantage? Absolutely. I would say we're probably least um, uh, predictive at the, at the 
particularly the defensive line position. Right. And I do believe that, you know, physical skills rule the day that in that position. If you're an edge rusher and you can run over somebody or run past somebody, it doesn't matter how many objects you can track or how fast you can see stuff. It just doesn't matter. Your point A to point B, see ball, hit ball. Um, do I believe deep down in my heart that those guys have to do some processing? I do. But it's probably just not as important as it is at right. positions like quarterback or, or things like that. Without getting too kind of inside baseball and all this, um, I was interested in your business model, I guess is the way of, of phrasing it, but okay. whether it's PFF, whether it's um, you know any kind of company that works with teams behind the scenes for whatever it is, there's always this kind of question of, are you looking to get all 32 teams as clients, which is what PFF has done, or are you looking into more of an exclusive, a semi-exclusive kind of model? And you guys appear to have gone down the latter route um, yep. with with your model. What was the kind of thought process there? And is that something that you think changes down the line and you would like this to become, you know, ubiquitous and the a thing that every NFL front office has to rely on? Yeah, I mean, part of that was just our growth, the way we grew. You know, this this kind of thing is is very uh, again, novel thinking for NFL, right? And I think they, some clubs feel burned by things like the Wonderlick uh, and other measures out there that that purport to measure how an athlete processes information. And so it was a really slow process intentionally. Like we wanted to go through a very exclusive period with two clubs, um, and, and it mainly stemmed out of LSU. We started with LSU in 2013, and and we did a lot of beta testing, a lot of just grunt work to set up the original battery and then we worked with two teams that are frequently at lsu through for a three-year period just to make sure we were measuring what we said we were measuring it was matching out with front offices and what scouts were seeing uh and then we kind of were protective of that and we wanted to work with teams that would play nice in the sandbox and and were interested in analytics and understanding data and with that we went to one team in every division and it was kind of a uh, a club of uh of gms that knew each other and then there came that tension where it's like, hey, we right. need to grow. Um, and they wanted to keep it at one in, in, in a division and where we landed. And I think it, it will be there probably indefinitely as far as, as I'm concerned is two teams per division. So half the league so that some of these teams do feel like they have a little bit of an edge or a little bit of an advantage by having access to this and not just giving the scores to everyone. Um, I think that if it was my, you know, and I know that there's a little bit of a conflict in, in these statements, but if it was my druthers, I would test every high school player uh, on the planet to be able to help them and help maximize their potential. Maybe it's a little bit different battery and then NFL teams can use it the way that they want to use it. Um, but as it stands today, at least for the next three years, it's going to be two teams in every division. Have you, um, have you tried or have you had interest in, I, I know in the article it mentioned that Drew Brees took the test, you know, obviously pretty late into his career when he was already in the yeah. NFL. Have you guys kind of tried to get any kind of back catalog of players yeah. that obviously have high-end cognitive ability, guys like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, you know, all those types of players? Yeah, so we, you know, the Saints were one of our original teams, and so Drew was part of that process of, hey, we want to see if it works. Let's test Drew Brees. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, ha they have had some teams that have tested their roster. Two years ago with the new collective bargaining agreement, that's no longer possible. 
Okay. So we we are we are considered as part of the psychological testing, whether it's psychological or not, which I don't think it is. Uh, we're not allowed to test roster guts, so um, that's off the table now. But you know, we had a guy like Kirk Cousins reach out. Kirk reached out to us and said, "Hey, I heard about the S two from Justin Jefferson, who took it at LSU. I want to learn about myself. Can I take it?" Absolutely. We were thrilled to have his data, right? And and if you want to find out about that, we have a podcast with Kirk where we actually go over his results and he oh, talks nice. about his profile and things uh, on our site. So, yeah, so we would we would love we would love to have guys that are have been at the top or at the top. Now, again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, if you're in your mid 40s, you're not processing things like you were 20 years ago. So there's a little bit of a confound there. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely going to dive into that Cousins podcast. Can you give us what are the kind of what are the takeaways from that? What what was his break, breakdown like? Yeah, so Kirk, you know, if you don't know Kirk, he's a great human being um, and really was interested in learning about himself. And you know, his approach was, look, I'm gonna, it's going to want one of two things: either I'm going to learn, hey, I got to this level because I can do some things well, or I'm going to struggle and and get a kick in the pants here and learn I've got a, some work to do. Uh, and there were a couple of tests. One, Kirk's ability to pick up on subtle tendencies and cues of the opponent very quickly that he said, you know what, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to trust myself a little bit here this year coming up and 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 trust my reads. Um, and so that was meaningful for him. He was a little bit better at the ability to improvise than he thought. And so that was a thing where he said, okay, well, maybe we need to be a little bit more free-flowing in, in my play. So it was just kind of some nuggets that he took away that probably deep down inside he knew um, he did well, but maybe didn't trust it just because the game wasn't going that way for him. And so, yeah, I think it was it was it was a fun exercise for both him and us. We we learned a lot from him. He was very insightful uh, for us to learn about high level quarterbacks and what they have to do. Awesome, Brandon. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people go to to find out more about the S two cognition test? Yeah, follow us on social. We're always updating the new the new stuff. So anytime we put a new white paper or blog or a data paper, that's always on there. It's a at S2 Cognition on Twitter and at S2.Cognition on Instagram. Uh, and obviously our website, www.s2cognition.com. Yeah, and we'll make sure we uh, put a link to the website in the, the description of this show. Got to say, I'm, I'm hugely excited. Obviously, the Wonderlick, you know, doesn't, wasn't really doing what people wanted it to do back in the day. This, to me, is, is the keys to unlocking what everybody wants to know. It's it's that it's quantifying that ability that's always just been an intangible up until now like this is a potential way of actually putting numbers to that and putting some kind of data behind that i think that's gonna that's gonna improve a lot of a lot of sports a lot of uh, evaluation across the board well, sam i really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on today and just talk with you i had fun uh and uh and just uh, educate people about what we do no problem thanks so much for coming on thanks man all right, Sam, good job. You're like uh, Barbara Walters over there with your interview skills. Mm. Good work. Yeah, it was okay. Okay interviewing. Yeah? Yeah. I thought it was, it was an interesting discussion. I, I heard over and over answers a lot like what we give at PFF, and you referenced that too, where a lot of people only look at this PFF number and it's yeah. like, oh, you think this guy's a 90. You, guys, you think this guy's better than that guy. And it's like there's, there's a lot more context that goes into it. And that's definitely the biggest takeaway when it comes to yeah. these. Yeah, I mean, the, the misinformation flying around at the moment, I think, is 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 one big takeaway that we didn't necessarily hammer too hard in the, in the interview, but he did reference, like, with only half the league subscribing to this uh, service, using these tests, the other half of the league 
doesn't know any of this. So right now, there's real motivation for people to actually put out information, misinformation, whatever you want, particularly when it comes to these quarterbacks. And who knows, by the way, you know, the, the order at the top of the draft, which teams are the haves and which teams are the have-nots, right? So there might be absolutely motivation to leak that, oh, this quarterback had a terrible number. And, oh, this quarterback had an amazing number because you're leaking potentially to teams that don't have that information and there's a lot to it. But then you get the idea of, look, this is, we're doing the concept a disservice by just like saying, ah, oh, this is a, this is a 92, or this is a 51. Like the whole point about the thing is not only is it able to give you an idea and quantify these things that have been like intangibles for years, right? They're actually create, making the intangible tangible. Um, but it's able to articulate what type of yeah. processor is he? Not just, is he good or bad at this, but how? Where does he struggle? Where is he strong? Those kinds of things. I honestly, you know, I honestly think this is getting towards that holy grail thing of being able to quantify like the most important aspects of the thing. Yeah, but I also think I'm guilty of this and a lot of us are guilty of searching for that holy grail and thinking that there was going to be this thing could be pff grades could be cognition scores whatever it is this one thing that said hey if you had this you would hit on patrick mahomes and josh allen and justin herbert and lamar jackson it's like every quarterback that didn't go first in their draft class well guess what this secret thing would have said mahomes first quarterback and it would have said josh allen number one over baker mayfield it would have said justin herbert right there with joe burrow or whatever um, I don't know if that's what it is, right? Like when you hear that discussion, it's not it's it's not this direct correlation like everything over ninety equals success, right? He even admitted like guys over ninety have not done well in the NFL. Yeah, but critically, I think one piece of information I don't know if he said this, but has been put out there before is that nobody with a bad score has been good yet. Yeah, so I think I think that's good. Like that's a thing. Yes. And then the other part is I think what he was saying about how how you're using this information because half of it is how do guys learn yeah uh, what are the types of things that they need to do or what are the types of things that you should emphasize um i thought it was a good question to say hey is this like the wonderlick where there was a point in the wonderlick score where guys would ace it right because they just could study for it and then there was a point in the wonderlick score where uh team said well cornerbacks can't be too high in the wonderlick so cornerbacks would throw the score, right? They would manipulate their scores for whatever they want, just like they're doing with the combine, to be mm -hmm. honest. They're manipulating the combine because right. you know exactly what you're training for. That does make S2 cognition, that does make that have an advantage that you're not necessarily able to study for it or prepare for it or uh, beat the test, so to speak. It is giving you this honest assessment. That part is important. And I think that's a huge part of it is that it's it has applications beyond just can you identify the guy that's capable of doing something, yes or no. You then have the ability to craft something around that guy based off how you know he processes information. Like, so we talked with Dane Brugler yesterday about Anthony Richardson and the kind of offense that's going to need to exist for him to be on the field to develop. Like, forget... Can he develop, yes or no? Now you need to figure out, well, how do we do that from a practical standpoint, right? It's one thing to just say, can this guy realize his potential? But the other element is, well, now, how do we get him the practice, the game reps, to get him better, to improve, to work through the mistakes that he's going to need to go through without torpedoing two years in, of our team, right? Without just saying, the next two years, we're going to be terrible because our quarterback will be garbage until he gets good, 
right? Yeah. So this can help with that. You run Anthony Richardson through this battery of S2 tests. You figure out, okay, is he good or bad? Number one, that's his overall number, blah, blah, blah. But you also start to figure out what's he good at? What's he bad at? Now let's start figuring out how we can build an offense that takes advantage of that. Like know what to ask him to do based off what he's good and bad at from a, a mental processing, cognitive point of view. I think that helps players like that because now you can, we already, we've been using the very blunt idea of you just, you lean on their running ability, right? But there's also like, okay, once you've lent on their running ability, what are the pass plays you're drawing up? What are the concepts you're using? How are you tying that to the run game? What are you taking advantage of so that there's this sort of, you know, cheat code on the passing part of it to prop him up? This can help you with that. Like it, it actually, I think it has way more far-reaching uh, applications than we're, we're sort of seeing with everybody just leaking out the number. The other thing that I heard that was interesting was how Brandon said, you're measuring capacity. Right? You're not necessarily measuring directly what this guy does on the field right. with this information. It's, it's just capacity. And I've said this for a while. What if we rethought upside? What if we rethought about what upside truly is? How did, would anybody have declared Tom Brady or Drew Brees right. to have the most upside in the, in the quarterback classes when they came out in 1999 and 2000? Absolutely not. But they... They had the most upside, apparently, right? Aaron Rodgers was a more classic, I've got a big arm, I have yeah. more upside type of thing. And even Dane mentioned it on the show yesterday, hey, think about Anthony Richardson as a higher floor, not necessarily a higher ceiling. Is S2 going to be the thing that is actually measuring ceiling and saying, this is your capacity to process information, react, and, and maybe that'll end up translating to playmaking, and maybe that would identify say the Patrick Mahomes of the world the players who look like they have upside from a tool standpoint but rea in reality it's how you use that on the field and S2 might be a better measure of upside because it is a capacity thing well it's because I think it's doing it's that thing that we just mentioned it's quantifying what used to be unquantifiable it's it's making the intangible tangible so before the only thing you could do is say well this guy's got an incredible arm this guy's got an incredible uh, athletic profile we can measure all that we can make him run a 40 we can put a tape measure up and see six five we can stick him on a weighing scales and see he's 250 we can throw we can see how many yards he can throw the ball we can put the radar gun on his arm we can track velocity these are all tangible quantifiable things that we can use to project upside the stuff between the ears that's always been like but you know you can't can't measure can't measure heart can't measure decision making well, this might get you there. May, you know, this might actually help you measure decision-making. And that's clearly, that's always been where the most important part of all this from a quarterback point of view is, is measuring that stuff that has always been a pipe dream. You, you asked about other positions and everything. I'm far less interested in those because I do think we do a better job at those positions. It's way more interesting at quarterback because, again, we're looking for the, the holy grail. But I think there's information at other positions as no, well. No, I do. And I think it was really interesting that he sort of talked before about how it's middle-of-the-field stuff. It's positions on defense that I have to read. And that's, that's where, like, some of these tests are sort of – they're not quite spatial awareness, but they're spatial awareness and being able to track multiple things at the same time. And, again, like, not – you know, obviously my athletic career is a joke relative to NFL stuff. But – same. I, I had a really sort of interesting um, time playing multiple sports where I played 
basically the center of defense playing soccer. And I had a ridiculously good um, vision of being able to spot when a pass was going to come, where it was going to go to, and being able to do what like Richard Sherman used to do of baiting quarterbacks, you know, staying just far enough off that flat receiver so the quarterback's going to throw it and then jump it. I was really good at doing that from the center of defense playing soccer, where I would basically wait, leave a guy out there on his own, wait for the cross-side ball to see it, and then be going before that guy even knew he was passing it, essentially. And I figured that that would make a really easy transition to playing middle-of-the-field safety, you know, free safety. It's effectively the same look. You're playing at the back. You're looking at the entire field, full breadth. And I never quite, I don't know if I just didn't play long enough, but I never quite found that same vision thing as it didn't seem to translate the same, even though I, I thought it would being essentially the same skill. So again, I, I wonder if this kind of thing helps break down the differences and that kind of thing and, and being able to identify which guys are capable of doing that. You know, that, that zone defense thing where you got to have your eyes on the quarterback You've also kind of got to have your eyes over here and understand the two routes they're breaking and what that combination is and where that affects you versus the guys in your peripheral. Like it's a complicated juggling act and that is one of the things that they're measuring. Yeah, I asked that question yesterday when we were wrapping up the show. I feel like I was much more instinctual in baseball versus basketball. Is this just like an athleticism measure or is it specific to football, right? That's that's a an interesting question, right? Does the... Does the port point guard, we always hear about quarterback's point guard, he's a distributor. Mm. Does the point guard always look good? And does the good distributing point guard look good, the same as a Mahomes type of quarterback, the same as, you know, these skills that translate to other sports, or is it sport specific? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain things that are going to be sport specific, but it sounds like it's measuring certain elements of your mental processing and your mental cognition. Like those things are going to be applicable across multiple different sports. When you add it all up, Sam, do you think with all the information now, the there's there's people who push back on analytics, there's people who are in, embracing it and all that stuff. Will overall player evaluation get better? Yeah, will I think this so. make us get better over the years? Yes, I, I don't see how it can't. Like I, this to me feels like such an important piece of the puzzle that. All I would say, if, I, if I'm one of the 16 teams that doesn't have this, I'd be pretty upset right now. Oh, wow. You get... Like, if I'm an owner... an investor? If I'm an owner of a team, not, not of S2. I'm not an owner of that either. But if I was an owner of an NFL team, and I'm sitting there, and this stuff is coming out, and I don't have access to this, like, you're telling me that we are unable right now to quantify, you know, how well a guy processes from a mental point of view. Now... They also mentioned, like, there are other tests out there, right? This isn't... There are. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've, I've, I've talked to people who see the other tests, and the other tests, anecdotally, really liked Josh Allen. Yeah. Really liked Justin Herbert. Maybe didn't love Baker Mayfield. Some yeah. of the... And it, but those tests are also not just, like, good-bad. They're also... Right. The types of yeah, things that I, they came up with coming out of there. And it feels like, you know, Joe Burrow is another guy. Like, he was reported to be, like, the 97th percentile or something in S2, which is – and, you know, the percentiles are against NFL prospects. So it's not like right. against you or me. He's in the 97th percentile of NFL prospects, which means he's, you know, as outlier as it's going to get. My assumption at this point is that Joe Burrow is going to score off the charts on pretty much anything that is measuring – like any form of mental capacity to play the game. You know what I mean? If it's even remotely in the ballpark of testing 
what we're looking for, he's going to score 90-plus percentile off the charts. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, just more information. Uh, it's similar. You said half the, half the league has this. Similar with on-field uh, college player tracking information and everything, we're probably at about two-thirds of the league that has it. And if you, if you don't have it, you're just you're missing information, right? And it's not just game speed. It's all of the other parts of that data. And it, yeah, I heard that at the Combine from teams that didn't have it. They were like, man, I guess this is the tipping point. The same thing happened with PFF. Yeah. When we hit team 16 or 17, I remember talking to team 18 saying, I see this data all the time. Agents are you know, serving it up to me in negotiations. I need it. Even yeah. if I don't believe in the grades or this <laughs> and that, like I need this information because we need to have a level playing field. That's what, that was the tipping point for PFF. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, we're two, two FBS teams away from the entire FBS Ooh. getting PFF. Nice. We're at 131 out of 133. There are two stragglers. And we can't name um, just like we just cannot like name NFL. names. We cannot name names. Uh, one of the teams may have been trying to steal logins from uh, from friends oh, at one wow. point. We may have caught them. Use it, but there's two teams Cheaps. preparing weekly without PFF data at the FBS level. We're actually over 40 FCS teams now as well. Are we able to articulate so. if they have been unsuccessful programs in the last couple of years? I'll just say they're not Power Five. They're they're <laughs> non group. They're non Power Five. Okay. So they're not. Um, they are who they are. They are who they are. And they know. They know. They know who they are. They know you. They know might who, listen to the show. You know who you are. But we're at 131. I think it's 133 total. We're at 131 out of 133. So we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you got anything else to add here? No, I think we're out. It's a great show. It's been the week. We have to discuss something. So Monday, it's Mock Draft Monday. Yes. So here's what for what I think we should do for a plan. This can be our fan mock draft. The live chat? The live chat mock draft. I don't I think last year we were we were torn on whether or not it was good or not. <laughs> we had a lot of good interaction. Um, I think what we did last year is we, we in, I initially said, everybody type in your... We had like a short list and then created a poll. We had right? a short list, we created a poll, okay. we went with the poll. Yeah. Do we want to try that again? Sure. Okay, so we'll do fan mock draft on Monday. So tell your friends, wake up with us 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. Monday morning, and you can join in and, uh, and vote for each pick, 31 picks, first round mock draft. And then the following week, I think we're going to try to get Chris yeah. on here. We're going to get Chris on here. He seemed We're going to boot some people out. Yeah. Get them out of here. He seemed open to it yesterday when I saw him in the office. Good. We're going to try to get Chris on here breaking down his mock draft. And then we're going to we're going to cut people. And get get them out of here. See you later. We'll let you know. Not enough room for uh, Chris and other people at this table. That's right. Big man. Anyway, two big people and me. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Yeah, we'll see you again. Everybody have a great weekend. And we'll see you again on Monday for mock draft. Monday.